Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, and I'm Jerry Alexander. If you're interested in buying, developing, and ultimately holding commercial properties for the long term cash flow, then you've come to the right place. The objective of this show is to help investors to learn how the commercial property market works and how to make it work for them. We want to give you a mixture of life stories from the coalface where everything happens, and successes, of course, failures and different cash-flowing strategies. Now, usually, if there's an interview, I'm the one asking the questions. But what happens when the tables are turned? Well, this week we did just that. I want to share a conversation I had recently with Darren Green for his community called Purpose to Progress. Darren is doing some amazing work as a transformational coach, and he asked me if I'd be happy to have a chat about my commercial property journey. He's kindly agreed that we share the recording with you. It was fun to do and hopefully will give you some insights into my own commercial property journey so far. So without further ado, over to you, Darren. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Jerry Alexander. I'm sure everyone that is interested in property and will have uh, signed up to watch tonight is, uh, will be aware of who Jerry is. But uh, Jerry, it's great to have you on. Thanks, Darren. Nice to be here. At home. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I know everyone is right. Um, so, Jerry, you you've been investing in commercial property what thirteen, fourteen years? Um, twenty years now. Twenty years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and you you originally started in residential, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we did. Yeah, we started. We did resi for about three or four years, and. I was trying to find a bigger deal. I didn't know what it was going to be. It ended up being a commercial building. And since then, we've really gone quite niche in commercial. And in fact, we don't have any residential anymore. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So 2004, we bought our first commercial building, not really knowing what we were getting into. Um, and by 2009, no, no, 2013, we, we sold our last flat, it was. And we've just stuck with commercial since then. I mean, that's not to say I wouldn't get into resi again. I've just, the, the commercial stuff's just so good. It just, I'm sure we'll get into it. But one of the beautiful things about commercial is you can just be so creative and add value. Whereas when I got into commercial, I just thought what you did was you you parked your money in there to get an interest rate. At least that's how the industry is sort of shows itself as an investment industry. But actually, you can be really active in commercial and, and create lots of value um, if you just um, think a bit creatively about what you're doing. So it meant that I didn't have the constraints in resi where you're, you're, you're thinking about, well, I can add value by adding a room or splitting things, which is great. But after that, you're waiting for the market to lift. Whereas in commercial, you can lift the market of your building by doing special things to it. 
Yeah, which is it is so so interesting. You're absolutely right. It'll be great to get into some of that, Jerry. Um, and I should say before we kick off, um, I suppose semi plug, which we'll plug at the end as well, Jerry. But anyone that's looking to get into commercial, you have to go and check out Jerry's podcast if you aren't already listening to it. I've been binging on it for the last like couple of months, getting getting up to speed. But it's now sixty odd episodes deep. I know, I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking to make the jump, and it goes through a lot of the, some of the stuff we'll be talking about tonight, actually. Um, but if you're looking to make the jump from residential into commercial property, then yeah, go and check this podcast. It's got so much information in it. It's, it's unreal. And I guess anyone, welcome everyone that's coming on the call just now. Hi, Jessica. Um, anyone that's got any questions, just drop them in the chat box. I will try and pick them up as we go. And yeah, we'll have a bit of a Q&A at the end if there's any that come in. So, Jerry, I guess the first thing that, that I was interested in, and you've you've alluded to it already there about you started in residential, you, you've 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 since sold all of that and you've moved into commercial. Well, how can you t- take us back to I guess when you first bought that commercial and that kind of decision to I guess get out of residential and, and make a real shift in terms of moving okay. into the commercial space. Okay, so that that decision. Um was probably about two and a half years before we actually bought that building. Because what was happening is we were doing the residential, and don't get me wrong, I, I had another business I was developing and I wasn't in it full time and had hundreds and hundreds of properties. But you know, we were building up our portfolio reasonably steady, doing the usual thing, buying below market value, adding whatever we could and renting it out, refinancing. And I thought to myself, because I play Kiyosaki's Cashflow 101, that, the board game. I've been playing it for years. And I remember playing and thinking, how do I find a big deal? Because I, I don't know whether you've played it, Darren, or, or certainly if your uh, listeners were. I, 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 I actually played it. Um, the only time I have played it, and I should I should have bought it since then. It's quite pricey, I believe. But it was a fantastic game. But it was, a, it was during a sales course for yeah. the education okay. company that I came through that Robert uh, Kiyosaki was affiliated to. So, um, so yeah. But, um, but well, yeah, it's the, a fantastic the, game. And the principle of the game is you, 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 you're trying to buy assets that are going to give you income which is, you know, what we're talking about here. And there's two piles. There's the small deals, and then there's these big deals. And small deals are generally single uh, family units, maybe double family units, whatever, and the odd little business and things. But in life, I was like, well, I'm doing these. How how do I do, how do I find one of these big deals? And in the end, I did, but it took me about a year to find one. And then it took me about 18 months to finally complete on it because of various things that were going on at the time with commercial and and um, the feudal law in Scotland and some of the stuff that was going on. So it just took a while, but eventually we managed to step into it. But the interesting thing was that the commercial building that we bought was £240,000, which was... 15 years ago so you know appreciate that it'll be more than that now but at the time you could have bought maybe a four-bedroom house for it it wasn't you know a totally different step change for me and what we did and and some people ask me you know how do you find money for a deal like that well we did the um what was obvious to me we just traded in some houses (laughs) we sold some houses took some of that capital and, and then put that in to get this building which ended up being um, a great purchase, but we didn't quite know what we were doing at the time. 
So it was a bit of fortune there. But also, I did manage to get it off market, which we can talk about too. But it, it was um, it was looking for this a big deal. That the was game. the thing. This wasn't, this wasn't the one that you got during a league during uh, one of the games that you had. So it was. What was it? Um, we've ended up... I th- we've ended up with four purchases from people and contacts I've made from playing cash flow games. <laughs> so, so the first all of them were off market. All of them were off market. Probably anyone that wants to get involved with uh, commercial property investing, buy Robert Kiyosaki's game and start playing it with people. <laughs> Dan, I just put a wee poll out. Say, I mean, I'm dead. I'm really keen to get back to. It. I haven't played it for ages. I put a wee poll out today on Instagram. Yeah. saying, you know, who wants to come to the first one? Well, we're actually finally allowed to get together again because what we've been doing until COVID is we've been having cash flow nights in our restaurant. So basically people come in and have a pizza and we have, you know, and we have, we've got about three or four games now. So you can have 15, 20 people all playing in the games and the rest of great fun. You learn so much. But, of course, it's not just the game. It's all the chat that goes on around it. You know, it's networking, isn't it? So yeah, we managed to find a few buildings because that's been really, really useful. I didn't see that, Jerry, but um, yeah, count, count us in. I think we'd be, <laughs> we'd be absolutely bang up for that. I love, love a board game anyway, but um, it, it's a it is a very, very good board game. Um, so great. So in, in terms of that process then, so it took you about a year, you know, to for that to come and then another year and a half to even just agree terms on it and complete. Yeah. That process and decision to move in, it sounded like you weren't too sure about what you were going to do with it yet, but you were willing to sell your residential stock in order to get into that. You know, Talk me through that risk and the, the thought process there in terms of, because I'd imagine by that point, you kind of got the residential market. You, you'd been seeing capital appreciation. This is back in the mid-noughties, it sounds like. Yeah, um, there, was good, good, there was good appreciation going on, yeah. So was there... I, I guess what made you think, right, this is worth the risk? Do you know what? If I'm being honest, it's a bit blurry now because <laughs> it was 15 years ago. Um, I guess, and this is, and this goes back to one of your questions earlier on about how do you get into commercial if you're just getting started. The thing to remember about that building was it wasn't particularly exciting. The income there was it was fully let, and it was producing £24,000 net per year. So what we were actually doing was buying a 10% income. And at the time, interest rates weren't too bad, so there was, there was a margin to be made there. But equally, I felt that there was an opportunity to do up this building, a bit like you do with a house. I feel it's something I can do up here. And what we ended up doing was running what I call a CMO rather than an HMO. It's just a commercial multiple occupancy building. And this this building had quite a lot of units and a few different customers. And over the years, we've sort of divided them up more and put more customers in. So at the time, the risk wasn't high. The, the, the risk was either A, some of those tenants would leave and we wouldn't get the income, or B, we'd only make 10% return. But there was the chance that we could improve the service and the quality. I didn't know how much we could, and, and, and we can go into that in a bit, but we, but we did manage to really change the income on that building, which totally affected the value of it. But at the time, I wasn't thinking about 
necessarily this big picture thing. I was thinking about, right, I want to get into commercial. I need to go and learn. This is not too expensive. There's some income here. I should be able to make it work better. Let's give it a go. That That's really what it was, I think, back at the time. Well, I love that. And I, I, hopefully other people are picking up this the same thing. But it, and I'm glad you're saying, you know, I'm not thinking too strategically about it. There was something that kind of, whatever it was, it was a pool. I want to get involved in commercial property investing. I can, you've, you've got this unit, you know you could get into it if you sold a couple of your, or, or some of your stock. And 24 grand, to be buying something that was cash flow in 24 grand a year for 240 grand, that's, you ain't, you, whatever property you've got, you said a four bed house might be about the same sort of. Yeah, it's not going to be that kind of income, gonna, is it? You're not yeah. going to be making 24, <laughs> you don't even make a fraction of that, to be honest. Yeah. So, so yeah, like I can completely agree. And you had the opportunity it maybe didn't quite quantify in terms of how much you could inflate that value from 24. But um, but yeah, so I mean, that that does make sense to me, but it's refreshing to hear there was no grand master plan. Like, I, I know absolutely with certainty this was going to work, but it was a, it was something that, you know, you were interested in doing and there were still sound commercial reasons to, to do it. And, and the other thing, Darren, was we could move our own business into it. So. I needed some space. I'd been renting private um, serviced office space already. So why not move my own business into this building, which is what we did. So the only space we could move into was reception because it was full. I mean, there's, there's, I mean, we could go into it if you wish. I'm sure we don't have time. But there's so many lessons I learned from that building, not least that you can buy a perfectly functioning, fully occupied building and still, what, what we ended up doing was tripling the value of that over the next few years by just changing the offer. So we didn't, we, yes, we improved the facilities, put a new double glazing, we carpeted things and redecorated as you do and all that sort of stuff. But what we really did was change the offer and change the rental income, and that managed to triple the value of the building. It was just nuts. I didn't know that's what was happening. I just thought I'm trying to increase the, the income. But I'm sorry, I'm jumping on here. But basically, a few years later, I went to get another building. The bank asked me, well, you have to get a valuation of your existing one because we're going to lend against it. So they sent out the surveyor. He had a look around. I gave him all the numbers. And then he phoned me up, or I phoned him up chasing him, saying, you know, where are we at? And he said, well, what do you think, Jerry? I'm like, well, that's what I'm paying you for, you know. <laughs> I remember sitting in the car having this conversation. Well, what do you think, Jerry? I'm like, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, I don't know. So he said, well, I think it begins with a seven. It's probably about 750. What do you think? And I'm like, what do you mean 750? Like like seven, 75,000? What do you mean? <laughs> and he valued it at 750,000. And the reason for that was that the income was now net 75, not 24. Now, I should have I should have known that, but I hadn't really paid attention to it too much. I'd just been busy creating more cash flow. But actually what it was doing was totally increasing the value because the value commercial is so much orientated around what the income is or what the net income is. So that was a revelation for me. And that was when, right, okay, I need to do this a bit more. So actually I I had two other businesses that I was involved in and I I maintained a shareholding them, but basically I just concentrated on commercial then and, and bought a few more and yeah. 
Yeah, and and I can see why you stayed with CMO or commercial walkable occupancy as a as a strategy since. Um, certainly, if I think to this, you know, Jill and I have we, we just uh, completed our first HMO project. Yes. But if you if you run that as a parallel, yes, you've got increased cash flow. You've got you know you're you're cutting up the same space, but you've got more rent coming in. But almost in the commercial space, you've got different types of people coming in and renting that space and that they, they value that space at completely different levels yes. which you're able to do so um it's, it's it's almost like it's another level beyond residential but you know similar sort of concept but you can actually you can you can charge out different different values for different square footage i guess across That's that true, site. yeah yeah and and i just in fact i've just recorded a podcast um for it's coming out tomorrow, which is all about the offer. So I mentioned that earlier on. And, and on one extreme, most people are aware of fully repairing and insuring leases where basically uh, a tenant takes on a property for maybe 20 years. To be fair, it's fairly infrequent now, but they take it on for an extended period of time and they get the keys and we'll see you in 15 years, you know, and pay, send us the rent every quarter, which is what, I mean, we have got um, some stock like that, but... That's one extreme, but then your offer could be more managed space where you've maybe got one or two tenants, but they've still got leases, but your but your services and the utilities are now your responsibility. You just recharge them, but you're a little bit more in, involved in the managing of the facilities. The next one is where you're doing serviced space, and this is not a lease. This is more of a license, and, and there is a difference. But your value can be much higher because now you're increasing. Um, sorry, you're involving all the utilities, all the facilities. So basically, this tenant really doesn't have many responsibilities, whereas this one over here has a lot of responsibilities for the building, the insurance, everything. And as you move across that, you get less ownership on the customer, but because of that, you get much higher value. So it just depends on where you want to be on that line. And, and we've chosen to be quite far over here so that we get the, the investor income, the developer income, and the operator income on, on all those bits. You can choose everyone you want, or you can do all of them. But it's yeah, really so interesting. What I'm, hearing, what I'm hearing there is like passive active, and we've, yeah. we've spoke about this before. So you know, I guess if anyone's listening, I guess that will be most likely in residential. It's the exact same areas. You know, you can get a bite of let, which is relatively passive, put someone on a... Uh, a standard lease and, and yeah. pass it to a letting agent and by all regards, um, you know, forget about it. Or it could be something more like serviced accommodation or HMOs, I guess, where you're providing a fully serviced offering. So it's slightly more active. You're maybe doing more developments. You're you're having to change the space and layout within the property, which is a lot, a lot more active, I guess. So there's a spectrum, I guess, where you want to be. And it's a great analogy. And you can, as an investor, do all of those, but not necessarily be really active because you might use a managing agent or you yeah. might use somebody else to manage the SA. You might rent it to somebody else. Depends how you do it. But it's the same in commercial. You, you're effectively, if you just go back to the basic one over here, you would generally have a managing agent looking after it. But you might decide to become the managing agent, just as some people in Resi decide to have their own letting agency. It's just the same principle. But the thing about commercial is, the market is really good at shrouding itself in mystique and mystery. So when you're actually looking from the outside in, it could be really difficult to work out what the hell is going on. You know, why does nobody want to return my calls? 
Why is it when I finally get through somebody that building's actually sold three years ago, even though it's still got the for sale sign on it? You know, why is it nobody wants to sell anything? I mean, it's quite a difficult market sometimes to work, to navigate, really, to work at what's going on. But there are ways through it. And the great thing is because of all that, there's less competition because people, you know, they, they look at a commercial. I mean, there'll be one or two listeners thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. So they'll look at it. They'll get a few knockbacks. Some agent won't return the call or tells them like they told me. They told me, don't bother, by the way, you know, <laughs> don't bother, Jerry. Stick to the resi thing. And, you know, they shy away and it's like, well, there's another residential and I'll go and do that. I'll maybe come back to commercial. So you just get distracted and go off down and do another resi and do another resi. So actually the competition is a lot less, which means prices can be a wee bit better. But anyway, <laughs> Well, that you probably just answered the question there. So I think, like, what are the main benefits? I guess a lack of competition. I'm hearing the fact that it's it's shrouded in that mystique. Um, that creates a lot of opportunity because a lot of people just go, do you know what? I look at that and go, mm, not sure what's going on there. Well, I'll stick to my, my my normal buy to lets or yes. HMOs that I maybe understand. Um, so yeah, what what are the other main benefits? Do you think? Well, just on the the lack of clarity thing if you think about it in residential if you're analyzing a property it's, it's not fully transparent but it's fairly transparent you can go and look at all the other properties you can go and look at what they what planning they've had what changes they've had what the rents and what the sale price you know there's a lot of information there commercial is a bit more difficult to navigate but because of that it's easier to hide opportunity so that that's a big thing and um, whereas in resi it's less easy to hide opportunity you know you, you you think you found an opportunity then when you go to viewings there's 500 other cars in front of the building you're like oh okay that's because the market's really transparent right but the other one that again i didn't really pay any attention to when i got into it is the tax advantages so there's advantages with vat there's advantages with capital allowances there's advantages with how you spend your income, whether you pay yourself, whether you reinvest it and how you reinvest it, whether it's through capital allowances or maintenance. There's lots of ways of not making much money in commercial until you want to. So we, we I'll give you an example. We, we did up a building and it was quite expensive to do. And I got our project manager, he did an uh, did a analysis on doing it as residential. So do we convert this to residential or we do it as commercial? And in the end, after all the taxes that would have been applied, if we flipped it and sold it as commercial, we would have potentially made, I think it was about 180,000. It was something like that. And obviously there's loads of things that could have come up and made that didn't happen. But anyway, that was the potential. And then in commercial, redeveloping as commercial and letting it out as commercial, the income's about 120000 a year. Now, there's finance to come out of that, so it's going to be less than that. But nevertheless, it's quite good. And that's every year. But then the really interesting thing is that because of capital allowances, we're allowed to generate, I think it was about £358,000 worth of profit before we start paying tax. Because all, those, all that extra money we'd spent on the some of the infrastructure in the building was then set against capital allowances. So in the background, your accountant does these computations in the background and says, well, and, and tells the HMRC, although we 
made a profit that year, we actually lost 350 grand on this building because it's all capital yeah. allowances. So it's brilliant. We've been that for a number of years. Yeah. yeah. So there's just lots and lots of things like that, that you're just not aware of when you're looking from the outside that, that can make deals turn from, oh, that's okay, to really actually making good money. I mean, I could go into lots of those things, but there's just a few of them. The tax stuff is really good. And I'm sure I don't know about all of it. You know, I'm still yeah. discovering it. And, and kind of, I guess, flipping that to where the residential market is, I mean, you know, where the changes that have come in Section 24 over the last, like, few years, yep. that is, that's that put, you know, probably the opposite effect in terms yeah. of the residential, residential market on. So margins are completely squeezed there. So, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's almost, it's harder in the residential market than it's ever been. And, but you've, you've still got those benefits kind of, and more benefits kind of sitting in the commercial space. So... If, I guess someone's in residential just now and potentially sitting watching this and going, yeah, that looks like something that I'd be definitely interested in. I fancy something a bit more creative. Um, Jerry's making it a bit more accessible, which if you go and listen to his podcast, you'll absolutely get that because he does demystify a lot of it. Um, but where can someone start? Where, where would be the best place for someone to start moving from you know, residential buy to let or you know, HMO investor, I guess, moving across into commercial space. Okay, so, um, Darren, do you go on Clubhouse at all? The new... I don't. Uh, oh, okay. I, I text don't worry it, about so it. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an Android user, which yeah, is... Which don't worry, is well, you've still got your life. Yeah, you've still got your life, so that's good. But the thing about that platform and Facebook and everywhere else is that people, particularly if they're talking about commercial, are talking about these deals that are like stratospheric. And you just like, you know, if you don't win big, just stay at home. And although those 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 big deals and those, you know, geniuses are, are great to see and hear about, I always say if you're getting started, just get started small. It's a bit like residential. Start with buy to let. Get in the swim, learn how things work, learn how to deal with the lawyers, the title deeds the heads of terms, all different bits and pieces when you're doing a transaction, and then move on to something a bit bigger and a bit bigger and a bit bigger. Just, Darren, you know, you do buy to let, then you think I'll start doing HMO, then maybe I'll start doing service apartments or whatever way around, and, and you just sort of build on your knowledge. And I would say with commercial, don't be scared, but don't feel you have to go and, you know, um, shoot to the stars straight away. You can just do something a bit more vanilla to get the thing moving. And then that will start getting you, it will give you credibility, it will get you in the swim, and deals might start becoming easier to find and finding you because you're starting to get a track record. Whereas a lot of these deals can be off market and it's been able to get under those layers. And sometimes you just need to maybe go and buy something and get the thing started to actually start seeing these better deals. Because that is part of the problem with commercial is a lot of the stuff's done off market. And how do you get into, I guess, how would you get into that off market? I mean, obviously, on a residential side, you've got state agents, you know, and I think everyone will probably be aware of how difficult it is to get something at the price we want to pay just yeah. now in the residential space through estate agents. And off market, I guess you're looking at, you know, leafleting, bandit boards, you're phoning up maybe local solicitors, all of the, I guess, all of these direct to vendor strategies that you can go to. Is it similar? Is it just a lift and shift to commercial? It, it can be the same. You can definitely try those strategies. I've been doing it for quite a while, and we tend to buy a deal 
maybe once every 12, 18 months. We're not buying one next week, one the next week, because we, we try and redevelop. And sometimes those redevelopments take a year, year and a half to do. Yeah. So I'm not doing loads of volume. So I'm able to find stuff off market. But equally, when you're getting started, the agents out there, the commercial agents, you just need to know a few things about them. Um, they tend to be the ones that are successful have tended to build up built up a really good network of buyers and sellers, landlords and investors. And what they do is when one of their investors comes to them and says, look, I want to sell a building, they tend to ask them not to put it on the market because they'd rather the tenant didn't know or they'd rather their staff don't know, I don't know, but they often don't really want people to know. So what they do is they just ask their agent, who do you know who might want to buy this? Don't you know somebody who maybe want to buy? I don't want to put it on the market, but is there? you must know somebody. So that agent will speak to his investment network. And if he doesn't get a bite, then what he might do is put it out to his agent network, who then talk to their investor networks. So if you just imagine there's little nodes of people, pockets of people looking at this deal. And if the deal is no good and nobody wants it, then it tends to go on the open market. But if it goes un off market or under the market, then you get an opportunity if you know one of those agents that's in that network may then send it to you. So you don't have to get to know all these agents to find out every deal. You just need to know one or two of them so that when that deal gets sent out to the agent network, you get the message to say, we, Jimmy in Edinburgh, just sent out this. Are you interested? It's not on the market yet. They're thinking about selling it. So you get to see the particulars. But it takes time to get to know an agent enough for them to do that. Don't get me wrong. That's not how the whole market works. But that is definitely going on. And if you think about it, these agents, sometimes they're middle-aged, maybe a wee bit older. And they've been doing it for years. They've built their network. They've got enough people in their network to do this arbitrage of selling and buying. So actually, quite frankly, Darren, they don't need you or me. Right. You know, we send them an email and say, I'm looking for a cash flowing uh, commercial deal. It's a really good price. It can be anywhere. I'm just looking for something I can add value to. They're just like, that means nothing. And they don't need you because they've got their network of sellers and their network of buyers. So what you've got to do is try and find an agent who's hungry to build that network. And once you know that, you're like, OK, you, you kind of just play the game then. But the thing yeah. is, don't get put off. <laughs> Yeah, you just need to get. I mean, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? You need you need to get out. Some people, some people say yes. More will probably say no, or yep. or kind of don't need you. But you need to be knocking on the doors. You need to be asking the questions. So what I'm hearing there is, you know, it's, it's maybe less about kind of you're not going to be doing you know leaflet drops and direct to vendor letters as such. You might, you know, some drive people past do property. Um, yeah. And there's some um, there are online platforms that you can get mailing lists for owners of certain types of properties. You know, I mean, there are some pretty sophisticated pieces of technology out there. Challenge for you and I, Darren, is most of them cover England, not Scotland. Yeah. But there are there are some good quality products out there. I mean, they cost a lot of money, but you can send mailers to owners. So landlords. So there is there are people that have registers of those. So it's possible, but it costs you quite a lot of money. I mean, I, I've got a, yeah. um, a mentee who's looking at spending 10 grand on send, wow. sending mailers out to people in the Southeast of England, specific types of people. You're like, oh my word, what's the opportunity cost on that? 
can be quite high. Yeah. Without, without, I guess, being experienced <laughs> in that space, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I think like going and speaking to agents and understandably it's not going to you know, necessarily be marketing everything because of, you know, the likelihood that that's going to further impact the business that's trying to sell uh, by tenants moving out. So yeah, go and, go and speak to some commercial agents and see get, see what see what kind of answer you get yeah get get in get in the swim try and the, the agents that return your call or your emails try and go and see a property that they are looking after even though it may not suit your criteria because it gives you an opportunity to spend some time with them to maybe tell them a little bit more of what you are looking for and ask them the questions we, we one of the guys on our previous mastermind still going on but our mastermind he was looking at a deal that wasn't particularly good he didn't know that when he started looking at it but he ended up deciding not to do it and at the end the very end of the conversation there was a question about do you have anything else or the agents and the agent said oh i might have one other thing it's a bit of a problem building but why don't we look at this one anyway he ended up buying it it's a fantastic deal but if you hadn't asked the question and gone to see this other dud then he wouldn't have had the opportunity to build a relationship to get to the point where the guy actually gave him the details on this other building. I mean, unfortunately, that sounds so vague. And, you know, and like... It, it doesn't, do you, know, do you know, what's often said like that is the, the amount of, the amount of, you know, something I'd say, like my, my mentees as well around on the residential space. What else is one of the best questions you can ask an agent? Oh yeah, you yeah. know when you don't when you ask, speak you to get... someone because yeah, like and it's so simple. It's easy to do, easy not to do, but what it does is trigger something. You don't know what's came in to their inbox that day or that week. Yeah. Time. But if you're yeah. having enough of those conversations, at some point, then then that question might work. A lot more often than not, it won't have any benefit. Yeah. But it's such an easy question to ask, and if you don't ask it, the outcome's guaranteed. They're they're not going to show you anything else. Yes, yes, like, you're right. Yeah. Um, well, no, I, I think that's a fantastic story, and um, yeah, there's no reason why that why that wouldn't work. So, um, so in terms of kind of knowing what to look for, and I know this is something you go into in your podcast. We're not going to be able to cover this in detail, but knowing what clear what you're going, what you're looking for when you're speaking to brokers. So, is it passive? Is it yeah. is it is it more active? Purchase price. So, what are you looking? You know. Yep. type of size square footage that type of thing anything else that's that's jumping out that you would say you need to be clear on when you're going to speak to an agent i think you need to study the market you need to pick an area it's a bit like resi hmo you need to pick an area so you can get really good at that area my strategy is not some people go into commercial so for instance something that's really hot right now is shops and uppers that's where you've basically got a shop and a couple of stories above that were storage or office space. Let's try and buy it, convert the two upstairs to flats, and then we've got the shop downstairs that we'll let, it, let out. And it's a strategy that's becoming really popular, and lots of people are talking about it, especially in England. And it's a cookie cutter. The problem with a cookie cutter that's quite narrow is that you need to look at loads of areas. So that the, one, the individual I was telling you about who's spending all this money is looking for those types of deals. But the problem is you've... You, each town only has a certain number of them. So you need to go to lots of towns, which then means you don't know the market so well. Because if one comes up in Colchester and then the next one's in Cumbernauld, you don't know the markets. You can't possibly know the markets so well. 
what I try and do is a building approach. So what I'm trying to do is find problem buildings in a specific area. But what I need to do is I need to understand in that area what supply and demand looks like. So I need to be able to analyze the market. So part of that, that the reason why I was doing that podcast was just talking about, well, what about the offer? So for instance, you might be looking at retail or, re or industrial storage or office space. Let's pick office space. And your, your geographical area is 20 miles or something. And there's lots, when you look at the market and you talk to agents, there's, they tell you there's loads of office space. A good example, Livingston, right? Livingston, a few years ago, I was told by a few agents that it was known that Livingston had 15 years worth of oversupply of office space, right? So in other words, what they thought was it was going to take 15 years if they built nothing else to fill the office space that was there. So that's exciting. So that basically tells you, what they're telling you is don't buy any office space in Livingston. Yeah. <laughs> However, a lot of the office space in Livingston was 20, 30,000 square feet. And there wasn't that many people who wanted 20 or 30,000 square feet. So they were right. However, if you know the market, you might have known that actually everybody who's got space at 100, 200 square feet, it's all full. These types of spaces are all let. And I know that because I've looked at a lot of buildings in Livingston and, and end up buying two, which I've flipped quickly. But those, those sizes of spaces are not particularly well supplied and there's quite a reasonable demand for them. So the agents were right. There's masses of office space and people don't want it. But what they don't want is 20,000 square foot. They want 100 or 200 or 300 square foot. So our job is to work that out. And once you've worked that out in your area, now you know what to ask for. Now you're starting to know what to look for with those agents. They don't actually necessarily know. They may have an idea, but they've probably got their own little scotoma about how they think the market works. So what you've got to do is work out, well, what, what type of space, what size of space, what offer, because all that large space in Livingston was on leases. If you wanted to take it, it had to be a lease. But actually, everybody wanted two or 300 square foot on a license, on a short-term license. Okay, so that's to do with the offer. And then the next thing is, you maybe start now talking about price. Whereas a lot of people talk about price straight away. But actually, it's about sector, what the offer is, i.e. the contract length and the service level. What's the size they're actually looking for? And the other piece in there is what's the quality? Because you might have a small 200 square foot space. It might be a fully serviced space, which people are looking for, but actually the quality's crap. So what you realize is that market has no five-star quality, right? Maybe I need to buy a large building, split it into small buildings, offer high quality on a flexible license. Now I know where this demand is. Now you can define price better because that's where demand is and there's not so much supply. So a really long answer to your question about how do you deal with an agent, what do you ask for? But really what you've got to do is go out and find out how the market works, where the gaps are, and then try and find a problem building that you can use to solve that problem, usually by redeveloping it. That's my strategy. So I went to Dundee and I knew in Dundee there were very few serviced offices and that 
if we were able to find the right building in Dundee and offer the right size of space, because there was lots of small spaces available in Dundee, but the standard of service was low and the quality of the space was low, I knew if I could get small spaces in Dundee at high quality with a high service offering that I could maybe crack and do well. So we finally did find this building through cash flow, right? <laughs> and the flower it, mill, or the old flower yeah, mill. this is the flower mill. Yeah. That's right. And yeah, you know, I can tell you lots about that building and the stories from agents and everything else. But basically, that's what happened. We bought it, we redeveloped it into about 30, 40 odd units, and they're all let. And they're all let that the agent that I remember him coming in and looking around this building, saying to me, "Yeah," because he was trying. I was getting him to value, and he was saying, "Well, yeah." we're talking about square foot rates, right? And he's saying, yeah, in the city now, we are getting, we're getting double figures now. We might even be getting about 12 pounds a square foot, right? And and he was he's thinking, you know, the city's lifting and that's a low rate. And and we've got some spaces in that building now. Don't, don't, don't forget, we've spent a lot of money on it and there's communal space, but we're getting some small space in there where the clients are paying 63 pounds a square foot. And he thought the market was at 12. And now we're paying lots of utilities, so you've got to knock that off. But I can tell yeah. you the, the difference isn't 50 pounds, you know, <laughs> between those two offers. That's, that's a high energy bill, right? That's yeah, a, that's right. So yeah, we, yeah. We've actually we had a couple of questions coming. I think one of them's actually answered, but on on one is related to this. So service offering in this context. So do you want to just explain a, a little bit just about what the what do you mean by the level of service offering? Okay, so it kind of covers two bits, but they're interlinked. One is the contract. So the contract might be a full repairing and insuring lease. And effectively, you just, as a tenant, you get the keys, you do a schedule of conditions. So it's a bit like a, a flat or something. You'll take a picture of everything to see what the condition is like. So at the end of the lease, you have to get it back to that condition. But everything else is up to you. And then at the other end is you might even have an incubator where actually you do everything for the person. You might even give them the space for free because your, your model's slightly different. And in between there, you have maybe manage space and service space. So the contract changes when you go into service space and it tends to be called a license to occupy. And it, in that part of the jigsaw, you as an operator, not necessarily as an investor, because you could do rent to rent in this business. In fact, the market leaders in this, like Regis, and I'm sure a lot of people heard of WeWork, they didn't tend to own their buildings. They rented them and then Relet them. They were basically rent to rent on steroids. That's what they do, but in the commercial space. So you can do that and just be an operator. But I think the real value is in the investing side. But anyway, in answer to the question, at the service side, what you might do is you might pay the electric, pay the heating, pay the water rates, pay everything except for rephrase that. You'll pay for all those things except for business rates because you'll ask the clients to be responsible for those because they usually benefit from rates relief. And the internet, we will do ourselves, but we'll recharge. We won't include that in the room rate. But basically what that means is that the customer gets one bill 
but we have to deal with the fluctuations in the utility prices and all that sort of stuff. And we'll have a member of staff on site. Now, you don't have to do that to be in that market. It's just that we choose to be the investor, the developer, and the operator to try and get a piece of each part of the, the profit chain. So that building in Dundee has one and a half members of staff on site looking after the building. So our team don't have to, well, they are part of our team, obviously, but the, the, the finance person or sales or, or myself, we don't have to be there. Um, they're looking after the building and looking after the customers. So the customers are paying for one bill and they're paying for a bit more of a community and a bit more stickiness and possibly meeting rooms and possibly venue space. And, and I mentioned earlier on about a restaurant. One of our buildings has got a restaurant in it. You know, there are different things. Now, that is a, that's a higher-end product, and I'd really like to do more of that. I'd love to think we could have a building with a gym, food and bev, venue space, all that stuff. But, you know, I appreciate a lot of people don't necessarily want to go down that route. They just want to invest in the building, and that's fine. And you can still invest in a building that provides all that. You just get an operator in to do it. Sorry, a long way of answering the question about yeah, what is the service I'm, offering. Alison's <laughs> come back and said, yeah, sound, sounded clear. There's also the, the implication you mentioned from a contract point of view, not just for the customer, but for, for you, that, yes, I, and I, you know, I feel, if I at least you, you will be – effectively will be over a long period of time. Whereas licensing, you're going to have more throughput potentially. You're maybe going to need to bring more people in, but your chargeable kind of what yes. you can rent per square foot is potentially a lot higher. So, um, you, so Darren, you can have slight residential. You don't have to have one strategy. So we've got a building that is completely FRI, okay? And there's about nine years left on the lease. We get 3,000... £600 or something, whatever the rent is per month for that. And we have a few that are managed where they're still on leases and we manage the building, but effectively they're in there for five years. And then we've got a lot on service. And then in the past, we have run incubators and accelerators. That model's a bit different to talk about. But you can do all of them or just specialise in, in one or two. I think a mix is good because then you've got the really stable income and then the other stuff, which might be slightly more risky, but definitely a higher return if you do it right. Yeah, and so, allows you to you, you you mentioned creative right at the the, the top of this, where it, what I'm hearing when you were talking about how do you get into the sector, we had a question around like due diligence and whatnot. But you're saying, yeah, you need to understand your market, so sector, service, the contract, size, quality, price. All of that requires an element of creativity to understand the market and then see well, where could I fit within that space. So when you're talking to an agent, the agent, you know, may have his own experience and mindset around how the market works and you know what the offering is. But you're you're coming from a completely different you know angle. Whereas in residential, it's a house is a, a two bed house is a two bed house. You're renting it to this someone on the same contract. You can't you know, have half of it on one contract, half of it on another contract yes. with a different service offering. So yeah, that point. creativity is a, you know, it's it's so vastly different. But I think, um, I think, yeah, I guess working through all of those things, it's about understanding your market, first of all, and then going into speaking to agents around yeah. 
right? That, this is actually what I'm looking for. So, um, yeah, when I, when I was asking about due diligence, I guess, is there, is there anything else that's worth touching on just on due diligence to, to manage that? A lot of that feels like it will be done at the front end. Yeah, you will have to spend a bit more money in commercial for that sort of stuff because you'll need a lawyer to really unpick leases. Titles can be complicated, um, so it can cost a little bit more. What I try and do in commercial is I try, I try and do as much as I can before I have to start paying money. So, for instance, I'll put in offers. I won't, won't, I won't do a survey. I'll put in offers. Um, I'll negotiate on the price. I'll get my lawyer to do that, and he tends to do that for free, or she, he or she do that for free, up to the point where they where it starts taking too much time. And then I'll maybe agree heads of terms, which is a bit more negotiation, and that's where basically we, we, we really kind of write out where we're both at, where we our agreement are on how this deal is going to progress. Then you might have to start spending money. Because then you might have to get some contractors in to look at, mind you, they don't cost money, but to look at the heating system, these sorts of things. But you might then have to get a survey done, which we we, we talk about another time. But basically, you can get a valuation done or a survey done or whatever and start talking to finance people, maybe getting the accountant to help you with numbers. And now you're starting to spend money. But I try and get the negotiation all done, really, before we start spending money on the deal. So I think you can do a lot before you get to that stage, you know, and we're talking here about due diligence. So at some point you will have to spend money on the due diligence in terms of legal and financial. The other due diligence as in, is this going to work? <laughs> Does anybody want this if I do it and invest all my money in it? That That's something that's only going to come through kicking tires, getting in the swim, looking at lots of different things. What I should have said was, if you don't mind me saying, if um, if you find me on Instagram or on our website, there is a there's a there's a link on Instagram where you can. It's like a link tree. Some people know what link tree is. It's basically yeah. where you can you know list a few different things. If you go to our website, Commercial Property Investor, there is a deal not a deal analyzer, a market analyzer there which is free, and it's just basically a diagram of what I just discussed, outlined, sector, um, the contract offer, different types that are there, the quality, and then the size. So you can kind of start, right, here's the jigsaw box. Here's the picture at last of how this thing is, right? Where is, how does this market I'm looking at actually work? So, you know, going through that whole thing again, office, sizes, quality, and then eventually you come down to price. And it just gives you a bit of a picture so you can actually understand a little bit more of what you're looking at. So that might just, it's a good place to go and um, Yeah, that's a, that's a that. great resource. I, like, and I would, I would highly recommend going and check that out. I'd highly recommend go check your podcast out as well. I've put it in the notes there, but Commercial Property Investor Podcast. You're on Clubhouse. What's your handle, Jerry, on that, if anyone wants uh, to get in? Unbelievably, it's Jerry Alexander. It's not Jerry Alexander at 111992 or something <laughs> xyz is actually jerry alexander thankfully i managed to get that early on getting early <laughs> enough yeah I, I mean by the time i get on to jerry it'll probably it'll probably darren green do you know what though i wonder if you i would think you could probably pre i may be wrong but i would think you could probably pre-reserve your name you just won't be able to download the app 
I think I believe at the weekend there, there was one or two people beta 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 testing Android. So there was one or two Android users oh, okay. starting to come on the platform. So. Yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot of from what I hear, a lot of content you can get down rabbit holes very, very quickly. A lot oh, yes. of noise and courses and potentially being being sold and, and punted. But once you get past all of that stuff, there's yeah, there's I mean I, I value. Yeah. I, I'm I've been in some rooms that are quite small and you just get some really great content. Before this, I was listening to somebody talking in the US about co-working. They're an architect designing space. And I, I feel I've got a reasonably good grip on that, but then they just explained another step to it. I thought, that's that's really, I have not thought about that before. And it was just something, crikey, that was worth listening to. You know, there are lots of little rooms like that. You just get some nuggets. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sure I'll get to it. I'll get to it eventually. I'll be I'll be uh, checking when it's available on Android because I didn't think it was that soon. But um, fantastic on the due diligence point that you just went through. I think what what I was taking from that, and I don't know if this helps, Connor, but generally I can find in residential where you're like I put an offer in, and then they want you to put it in writing to your solicitor, and it's like oh, that's me committed, and I'm done, and I, I need that's me signed. Now technically, you're not signed until you've signed missives. In, in, exactly. In, 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 in Scotland, at least, um, and it can fall out at any point in in England. But I guess in terms of the commercial side, of what you were talking through for me, it felt like yeah, go out there. You can have, you can go and kick some tires. You can go and. Um, put some offers out there obviously don't waste people's time but get an understanding of the market understand where you think your numbers will run to in terms of you know what's the what's the rateable value that you're going to get on the property you know there'll be resources that you'll be able to find listening to your podcast how to do that um understand what you think you can rent that out at what do you think you could cut that space up into and go out and put some offers out there's a long period this isn't going to be something that's even going to you know, be a few months, which is a long period of time for convincing at the moment. This is going to be, you know, over eight, nine, 10, 12 months, 18 months, couple of years even. So going out there and putting in multiple offers and negotiating and agreeing heads of terms, a lot of that can be done without spending a significant amount of money. Yes, yes. and you're right. Don't don't um, overdo it with agents because you'll fall out of favour. But going all the way through the process several times means that when the right one comes up, you know it's the right one because you've already been through the process a few times and you can speed it up. And the thing is you can then act quickly because you're ready. So, you've, But the problem is you have to go through a few of those exercises before you get ready. And some people just sit around waiting to be ready. <laughs> but you've actually got to go out and do some stuff just to learn and it's the same with H. I'm sure you looked at a few HMOs, Darren, and did the numbers on of quite a few of them and all that sort of stuff before you finally got. Or was it the first one you looked at? <laughs> no, no, it, it wasn't. You know, and and this is I, I drew a line. This is how scientific it, it 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 probably draws some parallels with how you got in. You know, maybe into into commercial. But I drew a line down M six and went right. Where's first? So I went to Lancaster, tried that out. Numbers, I couldn't really get it stacked up. I was a bit nervous about the student market. And I was like, where's next? So it was like Wigan. Yeah, okay. And then I ended up down, you know, around Liverpool, which kind of felt like it, it worked for us. But yes. um, yeah, there was a few a few areas to kind of test beforehand. Um, and yeah, you do have to go and do that. So 
Yeah, obviously, you know, we're we, we're uh, I'm working with uh, with Jerry across the uh, across this year to get into the commercial space. I, I do think there's a lot of opportunity in it. Um, I do get the benefit in it. Um, so yeah, fingers fingers crossed, we'll get something kind of moving across the course of this year. Um, but thanks so much, Jerry. We've overrun slightly because I thought we run in about forty five minutes. Um, there's no other questions that's on there. But before you before you head off. Um, where's the best place, I guess, for people to find you? I know you could probably drop your details in the comment box, but um, what have you got going on just now? Um, how can people um, work with you at the moment? So I've only just discovered the comment. I've, I've had it sat on private chat and I've just clicked on comments. Oh, look, there's some comments. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I have <laughs> even noticed that. <laughs> um, I mean, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Jerry Alexander. I tend to post um, more stuff in my Instagram of just things we're doing because we do because we're a developer as well. There's quite often photos on there of you know a new a new sheet of plasterboard up on a wall, looking at, you know me being excited about it. But there's there's stuff there about the actual developments and then some of the finished stuff. So I like that because it's all visual, isn't it? But the podcast is the other place. You know, if you can put up with my voice for a bit more, there's. I don't know, 60 episodes. So there's going to be at least 30 hours or something silly of, least, of content yeah. there. I can't believe that. Gee whiz. <laughs> so those are the two places. But you'll find me on Instagram. There is a Facebook group which um, which sort of feeds off the back of the podcast for those yeah. that are wanting to do commercial. I think it's um, all the W's, facebook.com forward slash commercial property investor. I'll find it. I'll put it in the notes, Jerry, as well. Um, Great, thanks, Dan. But yeah, I, like that's been fantastic. Like, obviously, <laughs> we, we've we've been talking over the last few months as well. So I'd like to think that I'm starting to build a knowledge in commercial. But even I'm writing this stuff down over the last hour to say, just reminding reminding myself to kind of go and look at it, Great. and also just bring in that context. Something for me is it is important for me to demystify a bit. So I kind of feel that that's probably something a lot of other people are feeling as well. And therefore, kind of trying to draw those parallels with residential can make it feel slightly more, um, I guess, achievable for people to step into that space and kind of demystify yeah. some of it. So hopefully that's helped. It's certainly, I've found it really beneficial, Jerry. It's delighted to, to have you on for the last hour. Thanks, Darren. So there you have it. Hopefully that's given you some more context into who I am and why I'm so passionate about investing in commercial property. There'll be a link in the show notes so you can find out more about the great work Darren is doing. Thanks again to all of your listeners for tuning in. And if you want to reach out and ask a question or just leave some feedback, just find me on Instagram and ping me a message. Catch up with you next time and all the very best for the week ahead. 